Hi, welcome back to our last week of our Spiritual Warfare Discipleship Module. In this lesson, we are looking at how do we map out the spiritual battle space. Uh, I'm Pastor John, uh, one of the pastors here at JVC. Again, if this content has been helpful, please like it, share it, subscribe to the YouTube channel or podcast. Uh, we want as many people to benefit from this as possible. As I was working through uh, studying and preparing for this class, uh, I realized it's helpful to think of what we are talking about when it comes to mapping out the spiritual battle space as something like a graph with an X and a Y axis. And that vertical axis represents the spiritual side of things, and the horizontal axis represents the earthly things. And when you map it out like that, what you have then is four quadrants. You have things that would map onto what is earthly bad and spiritual bad. You would have things that go map onto earthly bad, spiritual good. There's also earthly good, spiritual bad, and then fourth, earthly good, spiritual good. We need to remember that earthly bad can actually lead to spiritual good. And earthly good can lead to spiritual bad. And so it's important to think through various things to be aware of the spiritual ramifications for whatever is happening in our world. Again, as I said in the last video, these things do not just, the spiritual battle never cleanly overlaps with earthly conflicts. Now, for each one of these quadrants, I want to show you an example from Scripture to kind of have a better idea of what these things look like. So first, earthly bad, spiritual bad. We can think of King Ahaz of Judah, where it says in 2 Chronicles 28, starting in verse 22, Even during this time of trouble, King Ahaz continued to reject the Lord. He offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus who had defeated him, for he said, since these gods helped the king of Aram, they'll help me too, if I sacrifice to them. But instead, they led to his ruin, and the ruin of all Judah. The king took the various articles from the temple of God and broke them into pieces. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple so that no one could worship there, and he set up altars to pagan gods in every corner of Jerusalem. So here's a situation where Judah is suffering, and yet that suffering did not lead King Ahaz to turn back to God, but to double down on his wicked plans, thinking, no, these gods, these foreign gods will surely help me. And it had a bad effect for him, but also for the entire nation of Judah, because no one was able to worship God as they should. Well, the next example, what about an earthly good that could lead to a spiritual bad? If we jump to Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 12, this is when Israel is getting ready to go into the promised land, and this is what God warns him about. This is what Moses warns him about. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is, with, it is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Moses is warning the people, guess what, guys? Life's about to get good, way better than what you've had. It's going to be cush. You're going to eat from fruit trees. You didn't have to wait for years for them to become mature enough to produce fruit. 
And when you settle down, there is going to be a particular temptation to forget God's redemption in a way that isn't so tempting as when life was hard for you. And given the incredible prosperity and ease of life that we have for so many of us in this country, I think it is this quadrant that we probably need to pay much attention to. How much of the earthly blessings and good are actually leading us to spiritual bad, to forgetting our redemption in the Lord? Well, then the third quadrant is things that are earthly bad leading to spiritual good. And there's actually a lot of examples of this in Scripture. It shows us this is actually how God works. We should not be afraid of suffering and hardship. I think of much of Paul's writings. Take 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. This is why we never go up, give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. This is an area we as Christians in America really need to grow in. To not fear suffering and hardship, but see these things as opportunities to gain a glory in Christ that vastly outweighs our suffering. I want to look at one other example that I think is particularly helpful, though. The book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament is really this prophet Habakkuk wrestling with this question. God, what do I make of these evil nations that you seem to be rising up and they are ruining and hurting God's people? And God replies to Habakkuk's question, Habakkuk 1, 5 to 8. Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. Just pause there. This should give us reason to be really cautious about thinking we know what God's plan is as we see events unfolding in our world. His point here is, my plans are beyond your computing power. So don't put too much faith in what you think is happening. He goes on, I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. Here's an example of God raising up wicked people with a wicked leader and wicked brutal army to bring earthly destruction, earthly bad, wherever they go. Mass killings, devouring people like eagles, they swoop down and snatch their prey. And yet, what is the end result of all of this? Well, Habakkuk, at the end of the book, he ends with worship right worship with God. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. What a great reminder for us that even when we see wicked armies devouring people with horses that are swifter than cheetahs, a fierce army that is like wolves at dusk, that sometimes God will use these things to lead us to remember his power and his protection for us. How often do we miss the spiritual good that comes out of so many of the evils in this world? 
Well, the last quadrant is earthly good and spiritual good. The harsh reality is that it is probably most rare to have things in this quadrant on this side of heaven. Heaven is the only place where there is only 100% spiritual good and 100% earthly good. Until then, it will often be a mixed bag. And because of the power of sin, earthly good often creates a fertile seedbed for sin to take root in our lives. But we do see little glimpses of it. I thought of the end of the book of Joshua, where it says in 23, uh, verse 43, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had solemnly promised their ancestors. None of their enemies could stand against them, for the Lord helped them conquer all their enemies. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Here was a rare glimpse of spiritual and earthly good in harmony. But if you know much of the story, you know it also didn't last too long. And that we should never get to be deceived that these periods where there's spiritual good and earthly good are often short-lived on this side of heaven. And it should make us long for that day when we can experience both those things. Well, we've spent a good bit of time kind of laying down these principles for mapping the spiritual battle space. I want us now to make it more practical and look at this conflict in Ukraine and think through these four quadrants to understand some of the battle space of this conflict. As Christians, we cannot look at any conflict just in earthly terms, but we need to consider the spiritual effects as well. And as I said, the battle lines for the spiritual fight don't map neatly across the battle lines for this conventional conflict. Well, what are some of the spiritual effects in this conflict? We can think of it from the Ukrainian perspective, and I'm sure you all can think of many more examples, but here's just a few. Well, there are many people, including civilians, young children being killed. This will test people's faith, and it could lead some to reject their faith because it's really hard to have someone you love unjustly killed like that. So that would lead to a earthly bad and spiritual bad. But it could also strengthen the Ukrainian churches, and there's been little reports of some of this happening. As they proclaim the hope of the resurrection, who are quickly, to people who are quickly learning the truth of that saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. And people are receptive and, and eager to hear the hope that the gospel provides in the face of death. So there we have uh, earthly bad leading to spiritual good. Well, what about the spiritual effects of, on Russia? Certainly there are believers, probably very many believers in Russia. How does this affect them? Well, if Russia is cut off from most of the world, it would greatly isolate the Russian believers. And as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 12, that when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer with it. And so it seems plausible to me that some of the biggest spiritual damage from this conflict could essentially come from cutting off Russian believers from the body of Christ, leaving them weak and isolated and susceptible. And this could happen whether Russia wins or loses this conflict. So an earthly good, there's an end to the conflict, or earthly bad, the conflict 
continues, yet both of those would lead to, no matter what happens, Russia is going to be more isolated than they were before this, and that will lead to difficulties for the Christians there in Russia. What are the effects globally? Uh, there are a ton, but here's just a couple that came to mind. It will lead people to worry more. Worry about the conflict escalating. A nuclear war, perhaps. Worry about rising gas prices. Other effects of the economic sanctions and, and the effects that has on our way of life. And worry leads people away from trusting God as their father. When they see how much it costs to fill up their tank and, and, and maybe you're already living paycheck to paycheck, it makes you worry and feel stressed. Where am I going to get the gas I need to go to work? But Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So here this conflict, well, depending on the situation, could lead to spiritual bad, more people worrying, people not turning to God to trust, people trying to double down in their trust and controlling things or, or hoarding things or whatever it might be, or fixing these problems on their own, instead of relying on God as a good father who will provide his people with what they need. So you see here in this quick overview that spiritual warfare isn't a conventional war. It's not operating in a battlefield, but in a battle space where one thing can have all kinds of effects on different people. And as we analyze anything that is going on in our world, we need to keep in mind Satan's ultimate goal, that he wants to steal the hearts of humanity. He doesn't care if Ukraine repels the Russian forces or if Russian forces level Ukraine with nukes. What he cares about is how will those things lead people away from trusting God and more into his dark kingdom. How are these things isolating Christians? How are these things dividing Christians so they are fighting against each other? Satan's purposes can be accomplished through World War III, but also just as well through world peace. Whatever is most likely to draw people's hearts towards him as the one who comes as an angel of light or darkness, depending on the situation. And perhaps that's why, after describing to the Ephesians the armor of God, Paul gives them this instruction, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and stay persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And we should do the same thing.